906 Camo X is at your service. I'm George Sells in with you for another hour here on a Tuesday evening in downtown St. Louis. So, were you wearing a mask today anywhere? This is the latest question abound. Different workplaces have different rules. Different school systems have different rules. But some of those rules are changing. Of course, we had the situation last week where uh, State Attorney General Eric Schmidt sent what amounted to threatening letters to school systems around the state, telling them that based on a decision in a Cole County court about health department rulings that schools were violating the law if they were making kids wear masks. He then doubled down on it by encouraging parents to report the school districts that are violating his edict. You'll report them. Everybody should be an informant. All sounds a little creepy and weird. I won't go any further with that, but that was... That was basically what went down last week. You move forward now a few days, and some districts are taking a look at what they were at their masking policies. Unclear if it's about this or about something else, uh, or a combination of both. I can tell you the the Kirkwood School Board last night uh, voted that in the beginning in the next semester beginning January 3rd, uh, masks will become optional in the middle schools and high schools. Uh, Optional, of course, means they're probably not going to be wearing very many masks. Um, Meanwhile, St. Louis Public Schools, where I work, they have basically said they're going to continue to go with the guidance of the CDC and the city health department, uh, and they're not acting under the order of that. And that's very important, and that's part of what we're going to get into here. Uh, Not acting under the order of it, but they are following the guidance. And there's a very big difference there. And the reason I bring that up is another community, Lee's Summit, suburban community out in Kansas City. Uh, They also received Attorney General Schmidt's letter, and they turned it over to their uh, outside attorney who wrote a letter to the Attorney General's office. That letter's now been released and basically starts by you know, saying all the things you would expect the lawyer for a school system to say that uh, they are, you know, first and foremost there to protect the children, to make sure that they have the safest environment possible to learn in, that they should be able to feel like they're safe at all times. All the things that people in the education world really, really believe in. I mean, that, that is not lip service, even though it gets said a lot. Uh, it, it, it's something that comes from the heart. It's that, you know, I take that at face value from anyone with any dealing in education. It worked the time I've worked in education. Uh, that that's the first thing you learn, not that you didn't already expect it, but it's that dedication to kids being and feeling safe. Well, the attorney in Lee's summit then went on to, uh, tell Mr. Schmidt a few things about, uh, their interpretation of the law and the fact that it's quite different from his. I'm going to quote from this letter real quick. First, you have no legal authority to direct the district to cease and desist what it is doing to mitigate COVID. You cite no such authority in your letter because there is none. Second, you place great reliance on the recent decision from the Cole County Circuit Court in Robinson versus Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services That decision is not binding on school districts. None of them are parties to the suit, nor are they in 
privity with a party to that suit. That decision is not even binding in other courts in the state. Then they go further on, uh, just really kind of point by point, uh, tearing the attorney general's letter to shreds. Now, obviously, two letters from two attorneys on the same subject can sound very confident and 180 degrees different from one another. Um, I'm certain that the attorney general could answer that with with equal force. But uh, yeah, the the what's interesting at this point, we're hearing a lot of talk. You know, I'm right, I'm right, as far as the law goes. But this is this is the first time I've seen uh, a case where somebody has really sat down with what the attorney general is claiming and gone point by point at it, and uh, it's interesting. Because it makes you wonder if the reason that some school districts are not going to challenge this, uh, if it's just to avoid the publicity or if it's, okay, we've got enough people who are sick of this that we're just going to go ahead and go for it. Uh, I know the the superintendent in Kirkwood last night uh, was going at great, great lengths to talk about the fact that they've been studying other other schools and other districts of of similar sizes uh, that have been going without masks for a longer period of time. I believe the he cited Northwest High School uh, in Jefferson County in particular, and uh, made the point that at least of late their numbers have not been too bad. They've been, I guess, would tolerable be the word? Maybe that's where, where you'd go with that. Uh, but it was just it was quite interesting because at the same time, you listen to Dr. Sam Page tonight. Uh, I was in the newsroom a little while ago and uh, the uh, county council meeting was going on. And Dr. Sam Page, who I know a lot of people have a, a, a beef with him, but uh, you know, the, the man's a doctor. You know, we'll give him a little bit of a little bit of credence on that. And uh, he's talking about this being the absolute last time and worst time to start letting our guard down. And there are numbers that would back that up. We've been seeing another of these of these increases uh, in in COVID cases and COVID hospitalizations and such. And you know, again, you go back to the fact that uh, nobody that I have heard, and I'm talking about when I say nobody, I'm talking about people uh, in the medical world, people in the high levels of, you know, governmental medicine, the Centers for Disease Control, various health departments. Uh, None of those people have backed off the importance of masks or the fact that masks are, with the exception of the vaccine, the most effective way to prevent the spread of COVID. Vaccine, obviously, is the number one way to prevent the spread of COVID. Put masks and vaccine together, you got a pretty good shot you're not going to get COVID. That's a good thing, right? But the attorney general with his Senate campaign just off in the, just off in the future, uh, he has decided that this is going to be an issue he's going to hang his hat on and he's going to go after the people who are anti-vax, anti-mask, think COVID is fake, whatever. And he's going to go after them to be the uh, basis of his campaign come the fall. So uh, you can present your opinions on that topic by you know, going to the polls 
uh, when the primaries roll around in August or the election in November. But uh, it's interesting right now because we're, we're at a kind of a crossroads, it seems, and school systems are going to be put in a position to make some decisions that not everybody's going to like. Of course, I don't think they can do anything that everybody's going to like, and that's part of the problem right now. It is 914. You're listening to KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And we're back, KMOX, at your service on a Tuesday night. I'm George Sells with you up until 10 o'clock in the <laughs> evening. Of course, the big news throughout the last few days, big terrible news, of course, was the tornado that ravaged much of the Midwest and southern United States. And, of course, the one that hit in Edwardsville, six people killed in an Amazon plant across the river in Edwardsville. And obviously, as we get further into this, we get more into the investigatory stage of it. A lot of people are already asking questions about what could have or should have been done that might have prevented this from happening. Uh, Joining me now on the live line, Brad Hiles. He is with Hush Blackwell Attorneys, and Brad specializes in labor law, among other things. Brad, welcome to KMOX. Thank you, George. It's good to speak with you. Well, Brad, I guess the first question is, when something like this happens, that is clearly an act of God, uh, but then OSHA is coming in and beginning to investigate anyway, uh, how do you see this? And I'll ask you to kind of wear both hats. How do you see this from uh, a, a company's side of things, but also how would you see this from a plaintiff's side of things? Sure. Well, from from the company's side, uh, of course, it's it's very challenging to predict when natural disasters will occur and when they occur, how that might impact the facility. Um, but uh, because of that, OSHA does have a standard for all employers requiring them to implement emergency plans, sometimes called emergency response plans. And so uh, I, I don't represent Amazon, but I'm quite confident that a company of its sophistication had an emergency response plan. And uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, will begin its investigation with a focus on that plan to determine if it was sufficient. Um, and, and there's more to it than that, of course. Uh, employers need to train their employees on compliance with the plan. And uh, probably all of your listeners remember the fire drills back in school. Uh, That's exactly what uh, big uh, logistics facilities or factories would do is 
have their fire drills, or in this case, tornado drills, uh, which tend to be much different. A fire drill, you you, you head outside and go to uh, a rendezvous area and uh, a tornado drill. There would be one, two, or three locations indoors for people to assemble, uh, safe locations, if you will. Those kind of buildings that I've, I've heard a lot of people say, why don't they have a basement? And I've heard of a variety of things. People have talked about the difficulty of digging a basement in, in that particular location for a building that size uh, due to the possibility of water seeping in. Uh, there's obviously the expense issue. You see these industrial parks with these, I believe they call them prop-up buildings, where the walls are assembled on their side and then propped up and fastened together. And you see those all over the place. I worked at Channel 2 for a period of time, about eight years, in one of those buildings over in Maryland Heights. And... They tell you if there's a tornado warning to go to the center of the building, but I guess it just, I guess you just wonder how safe that is, and I, I assume these are the kind of questions that OSHA is asking and that attorneys are asking right now. Is you know should a building like that be operating in the middle of the Midwest? <clears throat> sure, that's that's a great question. Uh, I represent many warehousing companies, logistics companies, and. I can't say that I've ever been in one with a basement, but uh, I will say that in uh, in some states like Tornado Alley in Oklahoma, uh, you'll, you'll occasionally find a concrete bumper uh, bunker, excuse me, uh, inside, typically in the middle of the building, uh, that will provide a, a really safe harbor for employees to assemble. Um, and and I don't know if the Amazon facility had that in Edwardsville. Uh, it, it seems unlikely to me that uh, they would build that building with a bunker, just because tornadoes are much less frequent here than they are in Oklahoma. Is the bigger issue, in your view, likely to more likely to be the building, or is it more likely to be? What was done when the sirens started going off? Were people sent to shelter? Were people just told to stay put? Were people told anything? Yeah, that is definitely the big issue, and that will be um, a a big part of OSHA's investigation. They will interview employees and find out what the supervisors told them once the alarms went off. Um, I've heard a news report that the alarms went off approximately 11 minutes before the tornado hit the building. Um, That's a big building, but that probably provided enough time to seek the the safe areas. Uh, But the real question is, what did supervision do when they heard the alarms? Um, I read this morning in a a periodical I read for safety and health lawyers that uh, there are reports out of Kentucky that a factory there uh, had supervisors telling people, stay at your workstations instead of going to their safe areas. Um, I hope that's not the case uh, in Kentucky, and I hope that didn't happen uh, in Edwardsville. We also wonder about uh, what the safe spots are. I will always remember, uh, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but it kind of it, it sort of fits. I'll always remember taking my son to a blues game in the spring, probably six or seven years ago, and we were, you know, 
in the upper deck watching the Blues. I believe they were playing the Buffalo Sabres. And neither one of us was aware, nobody was aware, but the tornado sirens were going off outside and we were under a tornado warning. Uh, the game was never stopped. And nobody, nothing was said to the people inside. Now, what I found out later, because I asked some questions after this happened, was that they closed down the concession stands and told people to go back to their seats because the safest place in the situation, in their view, was to be inside the main bowl. And because they thought that was the safest place to be anyway, and everybody was already in their seats, they just kept on playing hockey. So uh, that was just kind of an interesting juxtaposition of how things worked out there. And that's again, that's several years ago. I don't know what the rules are there now, but uh, it, it's. Do you find it interesting how different people take different approaches to what the best safe harbor is? I I do, and uh, candidly, I'll tell you that. Uh, my wife, uh, uh, we live in Chesterfield, uh, she was insistent that we go to the basement right away when the sirens went off, and uh, I dilly-dallied and uh, took my time, so I got down there probably about five minutes later, and uh, of course, Chesterfield was, was spared this tragedy, but uh, after I heard the news reports about tornadoes touching down here and there and the disaster in Edwardsville, I... I think I learned my lesson. In the future, I'm going to move right away. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, finally, we'll let play a sort of a courtside prognosticator here. What do you think is the most likely uh, situation to come of this? What is the most likely uh, outcome in this whole thing from a legal standpoint? George, I'll start with the OSHA side of things. Uh, I've been involved in 46 uh, separate fatality incidents. And uh, I can think of only one where OSHA did not issue citations. So when there is a fatality, the agency typically finds some violations, at least in their view, and issues citations. Uh, the Fairview Heights, Illinois office is a good office. It's a good OSHA office. They have talented people there, professionals. They'll do a thorough investigation and uh, uh, we'll we'll just see, but I would expect that citations will be issued, um, and of course, with citations come penalties. Then uh, I understand that uh, at least one of the families uh, has retained counsel uh, to uh, Benjamin Crump, a big name in the legal world. Yes, indeed, and and so they are probably contemplating a wrongful death action. Uh, that's an uphill battle for plaintiffs because uh, typically the exclusive remedy for a workplace injury or fatality is uh, the Illinois workers' compensation laws. Uh, there are a few ways around those laws, uh, but it typically requires uh, counsel to prove that there was a, an intentional disregard or a reckless indifference uh, for human life. And, uh, you know, George, I, I don't want to speculate. I don't know uh, what their emergency preparedness plan was. I don't know what supervisors told people. So I don't have a clue whether uh, they followed sound procedures or not. But it is difficult to overcome what is called the workers' compensation bar to recovery. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, Brad Hiles, thank you so much for joining us on KMOX tonight. Of course, with Amazon involved in this, a lot of people will be watching. Thanks for being with us. You bet, George. Have a nice evening. You too. And it's 929 on KMOX. Coming up next...
Is your employer preparing to give you a raise without you knowing about it? According to the Wall Street Journal, that might be the case. We'll be right back. And we're back, X at your service on a Tuesday night. George Sells with you up until 10 o'clock. And as we have gone through COVID-19, there's obviously been a lot of talk, a lot of talk about the job market, about how you can't find enough employees. You're starting to see different businesses offering bonuses, more money, raised salaries, you name it, to get people in the door to work. Well, this may be a sign of things to come. At least that is the opinion of our next guest. He is the author of Raising Prices, Stephen Semple. Joining me now on the line, Stephen, welcome to KMOX. Well, I'm, uh, I'm happy to, to be with you guys tonight. Well, Stephen, tell me this, because the basic premise of what I saw from, from what you were talking about is that everybody's going to be getting a raise soon, or a lot of people anyway. What, what's going on here? Well, we've seen a number of reports, including, you know, some things that uh, there's been Gallup surveys where they've surveyed top employers. And what we've seen is even large companies have been budgeting in their numbers the anticipation of increased salaries going forward. And I think that's just a reflection of where we're at. There's a there's a shortage of, of good workers. There's a shortage of of employment uh, of of you know, able-bodied employees, you couple that with, you know, the way the price inflation that we're seeing in terms of food and gas and things along that lines, and people are saying, hey, you know, I, I need to be paid a little bit more. Well, people have wanted more pay over the years plenty of times. Is it, what, what do you think the tipping point is? Is it that, that lack of workers out there? And have you figured out where they've gone? Because that's something we've had a lot of conversation on this program, on this station, uh, others like us all around the country about just trying to figure out where all the workers have gone. There are all these job openings, yet unemployment is almost historically low. Yeah, unemployment is historically low, and it's a great question you ask. Where have they gone? Well, where they've gone, I believe, is simply governed by demographics. The baby boom has had an impact at every stage of the economy. And they're now at the prime retiring stage. And, and I think COVID has accelerated some of this. So if you are close to retirement and there's all the headaches around COVID, your house price is up, the stock market has done well, and you're sort of looking at it. I think there's a lot of people looking at it saying, why go back for the next couple of years? I'm just going to retire early. So we've seen this big shrinkage actually in terms of the, the number of people in the workforce, I believe driven partially by this retirement cycle. And look, a, a lot of associations such as the Trucking Association and Builders Association, they've been predicting this for a lot of years, saying, you know, the average age of people in a lot of positions was getting up there. And, and I think now it's come home to roost. And I guess the next question would be, we're hearing a lot of talk about inflation, obviously, and you mentioned it as one of the causes for this, but does it become a vicious cycle? If the price, if the wages go up, the companies are certainly going to try to pass that cost along to the consumers. So does this kind of keep spinning and churning until something something gives, essentially? It can. 
it, it certainly can. I'm not an economist, um, so there's people way smarter than me looking at these things, but you're certainly right. There's a point where if this gets rolling fast enough and broad enough, it can become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we, we saw that, you know, back in the last inflationary cycle. We've got to go back a long ways to see that, but that is certainly one of the things that, that can occur. And, you know, I've been advising my clients uh, that this is the cycle that is coming and to be prepared for that. Can any of this be attributed to, you know, maybe uh, some better corporate citizenship, for lack of a better way of phrasing it? Because you, you have had large groups of people going back prior to COVID-19 who have been advocating for a higher minimum wage, for example. Uh, there were some corporations that decided to follow that lead. There were city governments in many places who decided to follow that lead. Uh, and now we move forward here and more people are saying, I'm, I'm holding out for more. Is there any change in the corporate attitude toward wages or is it just corporations doing what they've got to do to, to keep afloat? I think you've got two camps, like always. I think there are corporations that are taking the tact of, better corporate citizenship. You've got others who are like, no way. Uh, Our only focus is the bottom line. There's always been that divide. It's always been that divide. But here's the thing. If there's a a shortage of great workers and you want to have the best employees and you believe having the best employees is your strategic advantage going forward, well, you're going to get the best employees by offering the best work environment. Part of that is wages. Part of that is benefits. Part of that is how you treat people. But, you know, certainly a lead in that is, you know, paying a little bit more. So a little bit more for a lot of folks, maybe. And so, Stephen, who do you want to be right now? You've got the different groups out there. You've got uh, you've got union workers, you've got lower wage workers, you've got kind of upper middle class white collar workers, uh, and then you've got the people out there trying to hire them and employ them. Who Who's in the best spot? Who's in the worst spot right now? Wow, that's a really interesting question. Um, who's probably in the best spot is your white collar worker because they're they're skilled and anytime you're skilled, you're in demand. You know, the lower the skill level, you know, the harder it is to manage to manage these things. So I guess where I would want to be is the skilled white collar worker in that industry where there's where it's growing and there's shortages. That's who I'd want to be. Who I would not want to be, boy, I'm not uh, I'm not sure on that one. I guess who I would not want to be is in the unskilled working pile. Um, that's always the hard place to that's always the hard place to be and the hardest area to justify increases. But this time we may but we may see them having some leverage this time. And what, what about in the business world, though, uh, the, the, on the employer <clears throat> side? Uh, who, who's going to have the most trouble with this, do you think? I think that depends on the employer. In, in the book that I wrote, uh, Raising Prices, <laughs> oddly enough, it's a comic book, so it's very easy to read <laughs> with a serious message in it. And really that message is how do you go about offering products and services and being able to charge a premium price. The businesses that offer the best consumer experience and do the best job are the ones who are winning because they have been able 
to charge that premium price. And, and, and we teach our customers to be the businesses that we work with is position yourself as actually being the highest price in your category. But it also means you have to deliver the best products, best services, best experience. And I believe those are the businesses that are going to win. The ones that are going to, I believe, struggle the most are the ones that are kind of in the middle. They're not the cheapest, but they're also not the best experience. Those are the ones that are kind of hard to stand out because as money gets tight, people are going to start moving towards, you know, the lowest price things, but also the people who've got money are going to want to have the better experience. I think it's the middle that gets that's going to be really, really hard. Interesting times to watch, no question about it. Stephen Seppel, business consultant, author of Raising Prices. Thank you for joining us tonight on KMOX. Great, thank you. Anytime. And it's 942. Coming up next, we're in the midst of the holiday season. Everybody's settling in with their favorite Christmas movies. We're going to talk about a few movies and the debate. Is it a Christmas movie or is it not? Tell you what some of those are coming up in just a couple of minutes. It's 943. Hi, Maria Aquino from the KMOX Newsroom, wishing and hoping that your holidays bring you happiness and health. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Happy Holidays from KMOX. Ah, yes, the holidays. Sitting by the fire, maybe doing a little decorating, flip on the TV for that favorite Christmas movie. What's your favorite? You can call us, by the way, 314-436-7900. I would like to hear about your favorite Christmas movie, but I would, more to the point, I want to talk about what is or is not a Christmas movie. We were having this discussion around, uh, around the water cooler, so to speak, today when I was at work. And uh, working at the day job, that is. And uh, the discussion of certain movies being or not being holiday movies came up. Now, the one that always gets argued about is Die Hard. Action movie, good flick. If you like an action movie, that's that's a great action movie. It's a lot of fun, good one to see. Well worth the time spent watching it. I went saw it in the theater years ago. It was money well spent. And it takes place at Christmas time. And it's the it's his wife's or his ex-wife or estranged wife's company Christmas party that this whole terrorism plot thing revolves around. And I'm here to tell you, that was not a Christmas movie. That was an action movie that happened to be placed up against Christmas. Now, certain movies you're not going to argue. I mean, there are certain movies that are just Christmas movies. Christmas Vacation is a Christmas movie. White Christmas is a Christmas movie. It's even in the name. Elf. I mean, is it Christmas without Elf? Is Will Ferrell in green tights not what the holidays are all about? I would say yes, and I'll fight you on that one. Absolutely. But there are some others... Like I was, I was looking on Twitter, and somebody was trying to make the point that Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Any Gremlins fans out there that want to take that one on as as a nostalgic feeling of holiday spirit? 
it's dubbed that way because uh, the the movie starts, the whole plot begins because the kid is given the gremlin for Christmas, and the gremlin has a little Santa hat on, he's a little cute little face, and then they turn into like evil satanic beasts that terrorize the screen, and I'm still scarred from seeing that as a teenager. <laughs> Never liked horror movies, what can I say? So, again, that one, not a Christmas movie. But then I, I went looking online, to, and, you know, you can find a list of anything. And this was what, this was a, a real interesting one. This was also one that I had brought up in our conversation earlier. This is totally a devil's advocate thing. And I will say now that my wife, I believe, is listening, and I might be putting my marriage in danger if I argue this the wrong way, but you could make the argument that It's a Wonderful Life is not a Christmas movie. Think about it a second. The, obviously, the, the, the Christmas party at the end, and that's, the, you know, every time a teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings and the Christmas tree and it's beautiful. But if you think about that movie, 75% of it, it's not Christmas. You know, you're see, you're seeing you're seeing him growing up, you know, the the whole, you know, George Bailey and the way his life just goes, you know, never can seem to get out of that town and and all that stuff. And that's most of the movie and then you get to, you know, the the night in question and him finding out that he is important in people's lives, again, is not particularly tied to the holidays. It's the holiday spirit at the end, certainly. Uh, it's the fact that it's run at Christmas time every year that makes it a Christmas movie. But you could argue that it's not. I'm not going to argue that. I'm just throwing it out there. This is a totally a devil's advocate thing. I'm not going to throw it out there that it's not because you know, that it's just something that you associate with the holidays. But it's an interesting it's an interesting concept because what that brings you to is what defines a Christmas movie. Why is it a Christmas movie? Is it because it takes place during Christmas or is it because there is some kind of a spiritual something that happens that causes it to be a Christmas movie, that spirituality that goes in, that, that, that mystique, the magic of the holidays, so to speak. You know, another one is Home Alone. Now, that one's clearly set around Christmas time, but could you have made Home Alone with a 4th of July background? Absolutely. Arbor Day, Sure. The asinine family goes off to plant trees for Arbor Day and Kevin gets left behind. You could do the same story and the movie still would have been funny. The fact that it's set with Christmas and of course you can't beat the church and the old neighbor next door and all that. So those, those are all reasons that Home Alone does pass muster. But, uh, you, you know, it's, you're, those are a couple that are right on the edge. But It's a Wonderful Life is probably the most interesting one to me because you could really – sit there and you you could almost set the movie at at any point it could have just been a random tuesday and it's still a a strong message and a compelling story and great characters and all the things that make a movie from 1946 stand the test of time i mean you can count on let's face it you can count on one hand the number of movies that people regularly watch today that were made before 1950 it's like, it's a wonderful life, 
Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind. Producer Matt across from me nodding. Any, any others? Can you think of any? Uh, well, I got to think of a movie called Holiday Inn. It was like, it's like White Christmas before White Christmas. It's got Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire in it. Okay. It's it's meant to be like a Christmas movie, but the whole plot is Bing Crosby opens up this Holiday Inn, uh, which is only open on holidays, which includes Christmas, but they cover every holiday. Fourth of July, Abraham Lincoln's birthday, uh, Valentine's Day, <laughs> all of them. It's not just Christmas. By the way, for the record, folks, uh, producer Matt has never seen Die Hard, which I think is just kind of wrong because even though it's not a Christmas movie, it's still a great movie. Tell you what, great movie. It's a Wonderful Life is also a great movie. So, okay, we got we do have a caller. We have a caller from Colorado. yes, we do. Hey, what what you got? What what's what's our movie? What, what's your favorite Christmas movie and? What do you think of this well, whole topic? Actually, I got two favorite Christmas movies. Okay. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street. The Classic black Christmas and white movie. Version. Classic, and it's, that is definitely a Christmas movie. There's no arguing that one. Now, one, I don't know if it would classify as a Christmas movie, but I love it. Sleepless in Seattle. But don't they meet up? Is it Christmas or is it Valentine's Day that they meet up on the top of the building? I'm trying to remember. It's, it's Valentine's Day, but if in the beginning of the movie, it said because the lady was driving through town and she was uh, changing stations on the radio. It was Christmas. You're right. You are right. It was. Thank you. Yes. For, thank you for calling in. It's another one for you to think about. And we're running out of time here. It has been so much fun being with you tonight as we get closer to the holidays. So go watch your favorite Christmas or non-Christmas movie. Have a wonderful week. I'll be back with you next Tuesday. Until then, I'm George Sells. This is KMOX. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.